Good morning, and welcome to your Friday Five, a weekly newscast from the Boston University News Service. It's October 25th, 2019. I'm Hannah Harn. And I'm Sabrina Schnerr. Today we'll take a look at our top stories this week, including Rower's view of the Charles River, a look at Joker starring Joaquin Phoenix, and Harvard grad students push for better contracts. Let's get started so you can start your day. Glenn Beauchemin, an assistant recreational coach at the Weld Boathouse and the women's club coach at MIT, can remember what rowing on the Charles River was like when he first started. You're just rowing along and all of a sudden you see toilet paper and tampons and it smells really bad, but you just try to ignore it, he said. Now that I think back on it, it seems sort of absurd, but at the time you just accepted it, so we're all thankful now not to have to deal with that. Boston's 55th annual Head of the Charles Regatta welcomed more than 2,300 entries and 800 teams last weekend. Just over 20 years ago, the river was filthy. In fact, it wasn't until 1995 that the Charles received its first report card. It got a D, meeting boating standards only 39% of the time. Today, debris and runoff are usually only an issue after heavy rains. Regardless, rowers don't seem to be bothered. We won't be able to do this sport if we're bothered by it, said Beauchemin. For him, it's risk-reward. If you really love something, you'll take a few chances. This story was contributed by me, Hannah Harn. The Boston Book Festival kicked off with former U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Samantha Power, who served during the Obama administration. The former war correspondent said America's credibility as a world leader will be the hardest thing to rebuild after the Trump administration. What used to be a kind of truism among Republicans and Democrats, it's good to have allies, and U.S. security embedded in a network of alliances beneficial for the United States, Power said on Friday night. It's kind of life 101. It's better to have friends than being completely on your own when you have a problem. The education of an idealist not only touches upon geopolitical matters, but also on personal issues like Power's anxiety after coming home from reporting the war in Bosnia. She battled a sense of inadequacy, thinking her experience was not good enough for her job as a public servant. Most women in the room will not at all be surprised that you can reach a certain level. Your books could be well-received, you could be a Harvard professor, and then you show up in a new environment and not feel sure you belong, Power said to the almost full Old South Church. Heather Kitt, an audience member from the UK, found Power's candidness encouraging. It's always really inspiring to hear someone be so real and honest about how they feel about the world, about themselves and their place in it, Kitt said. The story was contributed by Mariana Sanchez-Goana. The Joker was surrounded by controversy even before it hit theaters. But the film's inconsistent storytelling challenges the hype, says our viewer Sammy Purcell. When Joker first premiered at the 76th Venice International Film Festival in August, it was an instant darling, receiving an eight-minute standing ovation and winning the Golden Lion, the highest prize of the festival. Most of the excitement seemed to center around Phoenix's gripping, disturbing turn as the clown prince of darkness, almost certainly cementing a run for Best Actor at the Oscars. Before its theatrical release, the media and internet created such a storm of hot takes about a supposedly pro-incel message that many people seized them as their own without actually having seen the movie. Nowadays, news about mass shootings and violence have become ubiquitous. It's understandable that people may not want to engage with a film that promotes sympathy for a thoroughly evil person and attempts to draw the conclusion that mental illness is behind his terrible acts. However, it's also reasonable to ask people to see the film before making judgments on its ability to create controversy. This story was contributed by Sammy Purcell. For the full review, visit bunewsservice.com slash podcasts and click on today's episode. Jennifer A. Nasser and Kenzie Bach are facing off for the West End support now that Councillor Josh Zakem is giving up his District 8 Boston City Council seat this election season. And both candidates are telling their heart-wrenching experiences with the opioid crisis to help garner votes. For Republican first-time candidate Nasser, the loss of her brother to an overdose fuels her compassion for addressing the crisis at hand. 
No one should ever have to tell their parent, Nasser said. No parent should ever have to commute and find their child in that place. Nasser said she would like to see more treatment options introduced in the legislation, and said she blames the state governments for throwing a Band-Aid on addiction-related problems. The Democrat candidate, Bach, was the senior advisor for policy at the Boston Housing Authority and worked with SIB George's budget director in the time leading up to her first time running for office. Bach intervened in an overdose situation at the corner of Berkeley Street and Newberry Street in May, which showed her how urgent addressing the regional epidemic is. The man collapsed in the street, and Bach said she helped control the situation. It was terrifying. I jumped in the lane just to stop traffic because you couldn't see him, and somebody else called 911, Bach said. You feel very helpless. Both Nasser and Bach believe talking with Quincy's local government to rebuild the Long Island Bridge and Rehabilitation Campus would be a collective effort on tackling the regional crisis. Looking forward, Boston Mayor Martin Walsh proposed plans to confront more challenges concentrated in the Massachusetts Avenue and Melnia Cass Boulevard area and the surrounding neighborhoods related to the opioid crisis. This story was contributed by Caroline Smith. Last but not least, Harvard's Graduate Student Union began open voting last week to authorize a strike while contract negotiations remain at a standstill. The union argued Harvard wasn't offering protections on harassment and discrimination. According to an open letter sent by the Harvard Graduate Students Union and United Auto Workers to the university president in July, Harvard has avoided negotiation on issues including third-party representation in harassment cases, fair pay, and expansive and fair health care. We cannot afford to wait any longer, the letter read. It has been a year since we started negotiating our first contract. With few agreements on the table, we have lost trust in the administration's commitment to a fair contract. Rachel Sandalow-Ash, a third-year law student, research assistant, and member of the bargaining committee, said the union is at a breaking point with the administration. For the past year, the university has been stonewalling on these key issues, she said. We're at the point in negotiations where we have to come to the conclusion that calling for a strike is necessary to win these core rights and protections. Libby Federici, a first-year student at the Harvard Graduate School of Education, doesn't think the university has made enough of an effort to come to the table during negotiations. She voted yes on strike authorization last Wednesday. She's optimistic the vote will pass, but hopes for a larger turnout so that the university can't ignore them. It would mean a lot more to have a large number, so we can go to the university and say, look at this huge majority of people who are part of this group and have agreed to strike if you won't sit down with us, she said. This is a numerical representation of the labor that you're going to lose if you won't engage in dialogue. This story was contributed by Sammy Purcell. And that's it for your Friday Five. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. For the full versions of this week's stories, visit bunewservice.com slash podcasts and click on today's episode. We'd like to thank today's contributing writers, Hannah Harn, Mariana Sanchez-Gowana, Sammy Purcell, and Caroline Smith, as well as our production team. This week's episode of Friday Five was produced by Hannah Harn. And be sure to check out our latest episode of Between the Bylines, where we sit down with our contributors to discuss top stories through the lens of student journalism. Visit us online at bunewservice.com slash podcasts for more information.